That starting of the car can only mean one thing. It's time for another Sports Buzz CarCast podcast. Again, this is a presentation of WKYT-TV. I'm Dave Baker, and we thank you all for joining us. And we hope that you will not only enjoy this podcast, but that you will subscribe on uh, Audio Boom or any place where you get your podcasts, and that you'll tell your friends and neighbors about it as well and share it on social media. You can find it at uh, Twitter, at the WKYT Twitter, uh, at uh, Facebook, or you can always uh, contact me, get a hold of me, at Buzz Baker on Twitter, as we have got some exciting things coming for you in terms of this podcast down the road here in the next few weeks. But once we get the details finalized on all of that, we will go ahead and get that information to you. So first things first, uh, I think we've had a, a gap of just a little more than what we normally wanted to uh, in terms of uh, this, uh, this podcast. But I wanted to wait until after the Derby. And I know we've heard an awful lot about that. And the second leg of the Triple Crown coming up this week in the Preakness, we'll talk about that as well. But, but you know what? It was a derby like on other, like none other, it would be easy for me to say. But I just want to say right off, and you've heard me say before, I'm all about civility and trying to, but enough of the whining. I, I mean, I get it. I get it. And, and it doesn't matter what happened in previous races or anything like that, right? Different games, you get different referees, right? But in a year in which we have focused on so much safety as it relates to thoroughbred racing and the awful things that were happening and out in Santa Anita, and there were a lot of different reasons for that, which we won't get into today. But, but the bottom line is, you know, with that focus on that safety, that's the only thing the stewards could have done in this situation. And, and because of the nature of the sport and different people involved and all that sort of thing, yeah, there's still the potential, uh, as there was last week, of litigation hanging out there. And that's why the stewards couldn't say anything other than their statement. And because of the fact they, you know, they work for the state, the State Racing Commission, two of the three, I'm sure that they had the attorney for that organization approve the statement to make sure that they weren't putting themselves or the organization in some kind of... Uh, potential legal trouble. And so that's why they said, A, not only what they said, but why they didn't say anything else. And once the potential for that is over, both uh, in court and, say, perhaps in civil court, then maybe they will say something else. And then there was all this gnashing of teeth about why wasn't an objection filed? And yada, 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 yada. I mean, real briefly, the way I understand it, Flavian Pratt, okay, who ended up on the outside with uh, Country House, didn't file a claim of objection, but just asked him to hold it before they declared it official. Which is kind of a, uh, it's, it's a gamesmanship thing, but it's not unusual. And it kind of signals to the stewards, hey, you might want to take a look here. And then before they could go any further with that, then John Court, who was the jockey, one of the most experienced jockeys in the race, one of the oldest jockeys to ride in a derby, okay? 
So how many times has John Court been through this thing? John Court was actually the guy that that filed an objection. And so then the stewards go and look at it. But at the end of the day, can we use an NFL example? Does it make any difference whether or not it's a coach's challenge or whether or not they buzzered in from up in the booth? The whole idea was to go ahead and take a look and see if anything was wrong. And absolutely there was something wrong. And, and I mean, this thing now has just gone off the rails. I mean, at the time I'm taping this on a Sunday afternoon, okay, the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the attorney for Luis Saez had somebody put together a video which broke down his ride around the track to show that he wasn't in fault. But I mean, it was clear that the horse came out two times. And, and for, for those of you who aren't racing fans, who are like really confused about what the heck happened here and don't know, you know, whether something's coming or going, J just remember this, okay? Just remember this. Think of it as a car and you're driving on a wet road or on a snowy road. And for whatever reason, the back end of that car comes out from underneath you and you make contact with another car. Okay, when that happens, that's your fault. The police and the insurance company are gonna assign you blame because you are responsible for maintaining control of your vehicle and not impeding or putting at risk anybody else who might be in the other lane. Plain and simple. No need to make it anything else. No need to try and break it down. No need to uh, go into a, a, a whole big deal. That's all it is in a nutshell. That's what it was. And clearly, clearly what happened was there was interference. And, and, and the way that the rules read is that if it was found that a horse did interfere, that horse has to come down behind the horse that was impacted. And that's the reason that maximum security went almost to the back of the field. But I mean, since that, I mean, court challenges, all this stuff. I, I mean, I, I've never met any of the stewards. Everybody I talk to and respect in a business say these are people that are beyond impeccable in terms of their character and their love of the game. And then there were just some other people that, you know, they get involved in a deal. I mean, I love me some Bob Baffert, okay? But Bob Baffert, and I'm going to paraphrase here. He said, you know, he's had some horses in some really rough trips at a derby. And sometimes you just got to take your butt whipping and be quiet. Well, what I would say to you is that Mr. Baffert himself may have been talking because he was still sore about his butt whipping. I mean, you win the Triple Crown last year with Mike Smith. And then when Mike Smith's derby mount is scratched... There's an opportunity to put him on your horse. And for whatever reason, he doesn't do it. I don't know that anybody has asked Mr. Baffert why he didn't do it. But you know, sometimes, sometimes coaches make moves that they think will work because they've worked before and because they're great coaches. And, and sometimes it's 
it's possible to get into a mindset of, oh, I can do this and this will work because I'm doing it. I don't know if that's the case. But if it was such a great move not to go with Mike Smith, then why do you turn around and then put Mike Smith back on the horse for the Preakness and talk about the fact that you guys have had some success together or whatever the term Baffert was used was? I mean, maybe he's sore because he's thinking, oh, my gosh, in a race like this where everything was as rough and maximum security got out there on an early lead, how much of a difference could the best active jockey in the world have made? And listen, I ain't no Hall of Fame trainer. I ain't won triple crowns, triple crown races, anything like that. But as they say in the business, I'm just saying. I give that to you for your perusal. And of course, I think improbable, uh, we believe that there'll be 11 that will go in the Preakness this weekend. It's going to be interesting. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, touted the fact that they thought there would be big ratings in the Derby. And in fact, it did outdo the Masters, which I did not think it would do. And I think that's a twofold reason. Number one, the Derby is a big party event to a lot of people, kind of like a mini Super Bowl, but it's an excuse for a party in May. And many are not watching it for the sport of it all. And then if you remember in the final round of the Masters, even though Tiger Woods had that great comeback, because of the threat of severe weather, the folks at the Masters, I thought, did the proper thing, and they moved up tee time. So the Masters live broadcast actually ended probably shortly after 2 p.m., while a lot of the West Coast was still waking up or at church or what have you. So now, so now let's see what happens this weekend because you've got the second leg of the Triple Crown and you won't have the Derby winner and you won't have a lot of star power. And it will be going head-to-head against the second of golf majors, the PGA. That's right. PGA of America did what I thought was a, uh, a good thing in conjunction with the PGA Tour. And they moved, <clears throat> excuse me, they moved the PGA from August <clears throat> up until May. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to get away from NFL preseason football and from the impending start of the regular season. And so now from a PGA Tour standpoint, look at how things are laid out. Masters in April, PGA Championship in May, uh, then you have got the U.S. Open in June, British Open in July. Major every month. It's a great calendar form. And so now, a lot of people might not ordinarily catch up to this change, but they certainly will after Tiger Woods has won the Masters and certainly figures to be one of the guys to beat, especially the way he's playing now and the fact that he points to these majors coming up in the PGA, which you'll see all weekend long on WKYT in Lexington. So we'll see what happens to those ratings moving forward as far as that goes. But it'll be interesting to see as well how many of these horses can come back. Will the great Omaha Beach, who suffered that injury, not not injury, but the breathing problem was discovered a few days before the race. Will Omaha Beach be back? 
what happens the rest of the way uh, for Code of Honor. And then, in all probability, I would guess we would see maximum security uh, coming back at Monmouth Park or something like that uh, in August. Uh, Jason Service, the trainer there, likes to uh, train his horses and run them about eight weeks apart. So if that's the case, you could be looking at a start there in that fall campaign and then a start again, perhaps in the Breeders' Cup. So we shall see in terms of what happens there. Just some, just some random thoughts. I am just going to rattle off some stuff about a lot of different things that are happening out there. First of all, changes in college basketball rules that they have to be voted on, uh, but it looks like it'll happen. These are recommended by the coaches. Uh, they're going to move the uh, three-point line back to the NBA line. You wouldn't think it would be a big difference for a lot of college players, but as a lot of college players reclassify and come out and declare earlier and earlier, a lot of younger guys are going to be shooting longer shots. We will we will see about that. Uh, they've also changed how they're going to redo the shot clock, kind of like the NBA model, that when um, now when the ball hits the rim and you get an offensive rebound, you get a fresh 30. Now what's going to happen is when the ball hits the rim and there's an offensive rebound, it would reset to 20. So what they're trying to do is trying to pick up the pace of the game, trying to encourage more offense and lessen the opportunity for people to milk the clock without anything going on. I kind of like it. Um, they're also uh, going to take a look at whether uh, uh, it, uh, at, at what can happen in terms of flagrant two fouls. There's some talk about that, but... Uh, the, uh, oh, a coach can now call during the last two minutes and a half per game, I believe it is. They can call a live ball timeout. And the big one is obviously Kentucky lost that game to LSU this year on the tip end that was an offensive basket interference that was not reviewable. I had one of those happen in a game, golly, it may have been 10 years or so ago now. I'm just really surprised it's taken them that long. But that is exactly uh, what's, what's going to happen. And in the uh, college basketball corruption trial, that ended with um, uh, Christian Dawkins and, uh, and the other fellow uh, getting a number of months in jail. Uh, the judge prevented a lot of college coaches from testifying who were on a witness list. But it was interesting that Dawkins and those guys made the point that, you know what, we're not saying we didn't do this, we're just saying it's illegal. It may have been against NCA rules, but it's nothing that we did that was illegal. And now the interesting part, and, and in all the comings and goings in Wildcat basketball, I was really kind of surprised. And I haven't talked to anybody, so I, I don't know the reasoning, so I don't want to speculate. But I was really kind of surprised at the transfer of Jamal Baker. I, I thought the more he played, the better he was. And he had been so nagged by that uh, knee injury and things. And then when he announced that he was transferring, it really kind of caught me by surprise a little bit. 
And, and then what really, really, really caught me by surprise is right before I started to tape this podcast, I, I saw a note on Twitter pop up that he was actually visiting Arizona this weekend. Now, Arizona, just acknowledge the obvious, you know, that a little while ago, uh, earlier this week, I think it was, that they were under NCA investigation. Well, after all this trial testimony and wire trap, uh, wire tap transcripts and everything coming out about what Sean Miller was allegedly doing, first of all, he's still coaching, same way with Will Wade, who was reinstated. I don't understand that either about the LSU coach. But the NCAA acknowledges that they're under investigation. You've got all this stuff out there in the churn about Sean Miller. And then you want to go visit that place as a possible place to play? I I mean, I get it. You know, maybe if you're, you, you know, maybe there's a connection I'm not realizing, okay? If you're already committed or something, you know, maybe there's just something I'm missing. But but if you are looking for a new place to go and you've got the opportunity to go wherever your talent will allow you to go and you see something like this and that's one of the places you take a look at, I, I for the life of me, can't understand that. Maybe he's just, you know, Wanted to see the desert. I don't know. But I, I hope it's something like that. NFL draft, big time. I, I can't remember whether I've talked to you since then or not. But big time deal for the Cats. Benny Snell, oh my gosh. Does he look like he's going to be a perfect fit in Pittsburgh or what? And, and Josh Allen doing his thing in Jacksonville. Couldn't be happier for all those guys. Um, And so then finally, before uh, we wrap up today, there are a couple of things that I want to talk to you about. Again, on Sunday afternoon as I'm taping this, the NCAA softball tournament selection show is later tonight. And as you've heard me say before, and if you haven't, I want to make sure you hear me say it now. I think there are a lot of great people and a lot of great coaches over in UK Athletics right now. Mitch Barnhart and his staff have done a really nice job of putting together a comprehensive athletics program from top to bottom. Administrators, coaches, support staff, and and I just love working with those folks. Okay, my my three girls are in school over there, and but but even before that, I just love working with those folks. And nobody on that list is any higher than Rachel Lawson, a women's softball coach. I mean, boy, does she know the game. And as we say in the South, is she just great people? And so the last home series we had, she was lamenting the fact about the fact that she thought there was no way that they were going to get a home regional. And it will be an upset of massive proportions when that bracket is released tonight if they don't have a home regional. And if that is in fact the case, I know we've all got a lot of stuff going on and school's ending and all that stuff, but if that's the case, will you all get over to John Crop Stadium this weekend 
I mean, you're going to see a great group of young ladies, great coach. Abby Cheek, now one of the 10 finalists for the National Player of the Year. I mean, already has gotten the SEC Player of the Year and now one of the 10 finalists for the National Player of the Year. Congratulations to her. Okay, and one of the last things, maybe I guess the last thing that I want to talk to you about is I got a lot of feedback from folks a few weeks ago when I started having this discussion about civility and about, you know, let's just take a breath, have discussions with people without, you know, being all argumentative and everything. And I had a couple of people who heard it ask me if I was okay. Not that they were being funny, but they were really concerned that something was going on in my life. But as I said before, as you get older, you take stock of things differently, okay? And that's just part of it. And there are two things that I want to tell you about what happened this week. The first was at WKYT. For those of you who don't know, we're now part of Gray Television. Uh, We bought Raycom Media. And so we grew from about 70 stations to 130-some. We're now the third largest broadcast group in the country. And we were at a regional sales training uh, in Charleston, West Virginia. Now, most people, when they hear things like that, they kind of cringe. But I'm telling you, I'm a guy that's been in this business for 37 years. And we went through a bunch of sessions over two days. And I told the folks that put it together and were involved in the training, many of whom I was just meeting for the first time. I, I mean, I learned something in every one of those sessions. I, I would just say to you all that, again, and I've said this before, you certainly got to have core beliefs and everything, but we should never stop our pursuit of knowledge. And, and we should always keep our eyes and our ears and our hearts open that when somebody suggests something to us that may be a little different from what we have done or what we're doing, that you know what? That could be something that could make a big difference for us. And I believe that those two days are, you, you know, going to do that. And it's, and listen, this isn't like Tony Robbins stuff or anything like that, you know, or one of these things where people are running down the aisles holding up both hands or anything like that. You know, it's just like, you know, there were just little things, some that were right in front of my face that I had never thought of before. And it's because of the fact that, that when we all get so busy, this is one of those old expressions. And the reason it is old is because it's still true today as it was whenever it first came into being. But you, you really can. I, I think you can teach an old dog new tricks. That may not be easy, but we can all always learn and expand our minds and our vistas no matter how long we've been doing something. And in this ever-changing world, those of us who are able to do that, even those of us with just a smidge of gray hair, I think the better off we are. And then on the other side of the coin, something happened one of those deals this week that did cause me to take stock. I got a call last Sunday that um, one of my classmates and you know, you used to call them a gang, but you can't use that anymore. But part of our group from Franklin High School, um, Dave Silkback, who uh, 
I first met when I was in eighth grade. And when your name is Dave Back, you spend a lot of time in the alphabetical world next to a guy whose name is Dave Baker. So we were there in homeroom together, lockers next to each other, uh, graduation, all those things. Uh, Dave, to all of us and to many people, they only knew him by his nickname, Silk. They didn't know him as Dave. But I got a call last Sunday afternoon that Silk had been out playing golf and that he'd been over to pick up his ball and had a heart attack and never regained consciousness. And Silk was my age, he's 59, and it hit me like the proverbial ton of bricks. I mean, most of that core group that we had in high school um, is still intact. But we've lost a couple of guys now. Silk and Steve Dalton a couple of years ago. And you just wonder, is there something that anybody could have done? Is there, you know, you go through all that. You think about the times when maybe somebody was getting together and you're just so darn immersed in life. And we've all got responsibilities. And those are tough calls to make. But I guess what I would want you all to know about my friend Silk, and I think just like the sales training, it can have an application to all of us, regardless of what we do. Um, you know, uh, I think it's an AT&T commercial, you know, but that, that series of uh, commercials that has come out here recently where it says, I think it's AT&T Wireless where they've got a whole bunch of scenarios and the guy or, or, or the person involved uh, that is providing a service is good, but not great or not the best. And, and you know, the, the, the hook line on the commercial is you don't have to settle for just good. But the one that, that I thought of this week is there's a young guy who's going in to get a tattoo. And he asked the guy about his experience and he says, I'm one of the tattoo artists in the city. And the guy goes, don't you mean one of the best tattoo? Yeah, something like that. And then the guy starts doing his work and the recipient of the tattoo says, aren't you supposed to draw that first? And the tattoo guy in the commercial who looks like Wolfman Jack, for those of you who remember him, he says, stay in your lane, brah. And Dave Back, more than anybody I've ever met in my life, stayed in his lane. He was so comfortable in his own skin and in terms of the way he did things, whether it was play ball, whether it was how he communicated, whether it was how he conducted his life and his view of faith. I mean, that dude stayed in his lane, brah. He drove a Pepsi truck for like 35 years for G&J Pepsi. They're the distributors uh, here in Lexington, and they also have the distributorship in Southwest Ohio, where we're from, and where Silk lived. And he had all kinds of opportunities to move up in the company and do all sorts of different things. But man, he loved driving that truck. He loved his route. He loved his customers who became friends. 
And despite what society said, he knew what he wanted, and by golly, he did it. And so he got a couple of years of retirement in before he was taken from us far too early. But the point of all this is that Silk knew what he wanted. Yeah, he had friends. And he knew people that were giving him advice that he needed to hear. But for the most part, he was able to cancel out all the noise and not be conformed by what the world said he should do. But he was convicted to do what he believed was right for himself and his family. He was able to stay true to who he was and what he wanted to do. And because of that, I would say that that is a life well lived. It's one of the reasons that we feel such a loss as Silk is gone until we see him again. And it's why we hold up his wife Holly and their family and we'll keep them in our prayers and hope that they can find comfort to take the next steps forward. Thanks for allowing me to share a little bit with you about my friend Silk. And thank you for joining us on another edition of the Buzz, uh, the Sports Buzz. That's what it is. It's not the Buzz Baker. It's the Sports Buzz CarCast podcast. I'm telling you, we really got some exciting things coming up in the next few weeks. Let us know what you think about this podcast. Please feel free to, uh, uh, to subscribe to it, to let your friends and neighbors know about it as well. And we will see you again on the next edition of the Sports Buzz CarCast podcast.